Welcome to Watershed. The sun's shining. It's supposed to be like 60. It's like springtime outside. It's great. Yeah, yeah, I see, I see a couple of you who know what I'm talking about. That's good. Well, speaking of springtime, <laughs> I'm not going to make it. A, there, I have nothing there. Never mind. Uh, no, I am going to make something. Speaking of springtime, springtime is when things grow. And today we have uh, Pastor Bill from Celebration joining us. Uh, and he's going to preach. And he's going to preach out of John 15, talking about the vine, which is a thing that grows. I made that connection just at this moment. And I'm proud of that. So... <laughs> <laughs> so we're going we're gonna to be learning about how to abide in God's spirit and to grow into the life that he has for us this morning. And Pastor Bill is going to be able to teach us a little bit about that. But as we get ready to do that, let's, let's take a couple moments now and settle our hearts into a moment of worship. Let's settle ourselves in this moment into the life that Christ has for us. So maybe put your palms up, maybe close your eyes, but do what you got to do to rest into his presence and to enter into a moment of worship. Let's stand and worship together.
season of Lent, and this is a time when we try to minimize who we are and to magnify who Christ is. We've been singing this song throughout this season. Let's make it our prayer this morning. We're a creation suddenly articulate a thousand tongues to lift one cry then from north to south and east to west we'd hear Christ be
head off to church, we want to bless you and we want to say may you go in the knowledge and grace and love of our Lord Jesus. Adios, amigos. For the rest of us, let's continue in a moment of prayer. Let's bring before our God our desires for our church, for our families, for ourselves. And let's be near to him. Jesus, thank you that you meet us here. Thank you that regardless of whatever burdens, distractions, joys, anything that's, that we come into this space with today, we ask that you help us by your spirit to set those aside and to put our full attention onto you. Thank you that you meet us in those places. And we want to turn to you in that now. Lord, we pray for, our, for Watershed as a church. We pray that as we worship you here, that we leave this place and we go out into our community and that we magnify you to our community, to our friends and to our families, even to people we don't like or who do not like us. May we magnify your love and your grace and your presence to them and may they be drawn to you. We pray that people will be drawn here to Watershed through the live stream or here in, in this space that they may come to know you better and that they may experience your grace in a community. May we be a welcoming community with arms wide open to all of your children in this world. Lord, we lift up all the many cares and concerns. We continue 
uh, to pray for Anthony and Sarah as they are in the process of uh, uh, healing and recovery. We we thank you for the progress you've made uh, with Anthony's uh, kidneys and his heart, and we just pray for full and complete healing. We ask that even, even in miraculous ways, Lord. We pray for wisdom for the doctors, but we pray for miraculous healing as well. Lord, there's other concerns, other needs within our family, our church family here. And we lift those before you. We lay them at your feet. And we ask that you surround uh, those involved with them. Surround them in comfort. Wrap your hands around them and be near to them. Lord, we pray for uh, celebration and fusion. We ask that uh, what, what the worship that happens in, in those spaces across the parking lot is worship that glorifies you and draws people to you and that all across the Heart of White campus there's transformation. And we pray for your whole church. We pray for the churches in Holland but also in Grand Rapids and in Texas and in Africa. Lord, may we as your universal church, may we experience your spirit transforming our lives and may that be a vehicle through which you transform the world. We offer our hearts to you to be magnified through and to be glorified in. We pray this in your name. Amen.
Now, a good marriage will have all three of those kinds of love. But Jesus only talks about one of those today, agape. Love that gives in the best interest of the other. And we need to distinguish that. I, I would tell folks when I'm preaching, Led Zeppelin sings, got a whole lot of eros. Jesus sings, I got a whole lot of agape. And they're two different things. So listen with me, follow along if we can, from John 15, beginning at verse 1. This is Jesus. They're just leaving the upper room in the Passover. They're about to head off to the Garden of Gethsemane. And while they're walking out, you can just picture them finding something and says, oh, look at this. And he says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do... Well, I'm having trouble seeing that word. I've got new contacts. Jesus says, apart from me, you can do... How much is nothing? Nothing. It's interesting. Apart from Jesus, you can build SpaceX. You can be on the board of Bank of America. There's a lot of things we can do, but what Jesus is talking about here today, bearing fruit, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved, agaped me, so have I agaped you. Now remain in my agape. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my agape just as I have kept my Father's love my Father's commands, and so remain in His love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, agape each other as I have agaped you. Greater agape has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. Will you pray with me for just a second? Father, I'm amazed to think that centuries ago, a young man, probably a teenager by the name of John, was walking with Jesus, and he heard him say these things. And he would meditate on these. He would watch the cross. He would uh, see the resurrection and the empty tomb. He would live, and he would tell the story, and he'd think about these words. Then at one point, you brought them deeply to memory, and you inspired him, and he wrote them. And those texts have been copied and preserved across centuries now through war and famine and fire and persecution. But now here they are, the words of an eyewitness preserved by the Holy Spirit. Now, Holy Spirit, I ask you, as we've translated and studied and considered, Holy Spirit, you've overseen that, but now be illumination power to each of our hearts and minds. 
lift, as it were, the ink from the page, that we might simply hear your voice, good shepherd. Guard your people from my brokenness and my sin, which is abundant. But even in my earthen vessel heart, I pray that Jesus would be known and seen. For we pray in his mighty name. And all of God's people said, amen and amen. Well, it's a fascinating time in the life of Jesus. I want to make sure you get dug into that. This passage is nestled into a moment that is pregnant with tension of all sorts for all sorts of people. Just hours before Jesus gathered his disciples and others perhaps into the upper room where he taught, he washed their feet. This is my body and my blood which is broken for you. Judas, betrayer, what you do, go and do quickly. Now, In this moment, Jesus and several disciples are leaving that point, and they're they're headed off to the Garden of Gethsemane. Do you remember that? There he would pray, but there too he would be betrayed, and then he would be beaten. He would be humiliated. He would be framed by miscarriage of justice, awful broken justice. He would be abandoned by his friends. So that's how Jesus knows our every brokenness. He'd be abandoned by his friends and eventually tortured to death. All of this, this 48-hour period that this is nestled in, this passage, all of this was a surprise and beyond understanding in the moment for most of the folks there. They were just kind of going through things. Lo and behold, but it was not for Jesus himself. He knew that his time was at hand. This was the moment. From this one point in history, There would be a before, and there would be an after. This is the fulcrum point on which all of history hinges, comes to the death and resurrection of a full human being who said, I am God incarnate. And here in this moment, this fulcrum point, Jesus takes a metaphor for living daily as a disciple. It's placed in the midst of this pregnant moment. He sees a vine and a branch. It brings to mind for these folks, bearing fruit. Vine, branch, bearing fruit. These three things can ask three questions that dig into the metaphor for us, and that's what I want to do this morning. I want to dig into this metaphor about a vine, about a branch, and about bearing fruit. The first has got to be this question, for you and me, what are we drawing life from? Now, as Jesus lived earlier in the Gospel of John, he would say these mind-blowing things. John 4, he's been with the Samaritan woman at the well, and he says, I have bread that you do not know about to his disciples. Well, we just went into the village. What are you doing? Next thing he says is, my bread is to do the will of the Father who sent me. Man, I know sourdough, I know French, I know Italian, I go to DeBoer's, but doing the will of God is bread? What are we drawing life from? See, Jesus is pointing to this metaphor about the relationship between us, that is the branch, and Jesus, who is the vine. The branch is to draw life from the vine. The vine gives to the branch all that it needs to produce fruit. The branch gets all that it needs for identity and life from the vine, not from its surroundings. You can take a vine from France, 
Go to a similar good place in California, and it will produce fruit. You see, our problem is that we're often trying to get life from a variety of other sources. I'm thankful for the jobs I've had through my life, but none of them, even this one that I love, are meant to give me life. I'm thankful for a happy marriage, more years than I have fingers and toes, not saying anything else. I'm thankful for that marriage, but Mary Lynn is not a life giver. She's a great wife. If I look to her for my life or my identity, I'm going to crush her. Too often we're trying to get our life from a variety of sources, some that were never meant to give it. Let me give you an example of how this works out. You can picture how prayer should be a way we connect with God and receive life. We were involved in planting a church in suburban Washington, D.C. a few years ago, and folks would, most of the folks in our target area, the target folks, would commute to Washington, D.C., and that was typically 45 minutes to an hour and a half. I've never lived in a place where the commute was the driving force in life. You didn't do a lot of ministry, certainly with employed people. At night, in the weekday, they weren't getting home till 8. They were leaving at 5. And many folks, even my leadership, would say, oh, I pray when I commute. Okay. I can picture trying to gain three hours for something. But then I rode with one of them while they were commuting one morning. Have you ever driven on I-95 in Washington, D.C.? So they're driving. The radio's on. They're getting phone calls. Oh, and they slip some prayer in. Let me suggest to you, friends, that often our lives are crowded and noisy, like my friend there in Virginia. We're filled up with all sorts of things, and so what life God can give us is very narrow bandwidth. I'm glad for people who pray and meditate on the things of God through every step in life, but I want to suggest to you that you ought to consider time alone with God is so precious and life-giving, cultivate that spiritual discipline that what you gather in that place of prayer is what you take to the prayer through the day. Do you see? My friends were just running through life, sneaking some God stuff in amongst all the other distractions and wondering, why am I so tired? Why is my life just running See, one of the questions we might ask ourselves, and this is a trick question, so don't say anything out loud. It's the kind of question we should ask ourselves when we're in a setting to hear the still, small voice of God. Perhaps even listen to God while you are with a gospel-centered friend or mentor or spiritual director. Now, let me point something out. I'm quick to do this. I don't get a lot of chance with watershed. Many people work in our lives as a mentor. I've had organizational mentors who helped me get my life together. I've had professional mentors that helped me function better in the calling I'm in. A gospel-centered mentor is different. They help you navigate the pathways of your heart. They help you look at the behaviors of your life and ask, where is that coming from? So find a way to hear the still, small voice of God, perhaps with a gospel-centered friend or mentor, and ask yourself this, how would you fill in the blank? I would be happy and settled if only... 
What's in that blank? Now, the trick question is this. I use this same question when I'm mentoring somebody to kind of identify idols. Whatever you put in the blank probably functions in your heart like an idol. If only my wife would respect me. If only my kids could, if only I'd get a good review at work. If only we could get to the end of the pay period before we ran out of money. What goes in the if only? That's probably the deep concern of your heart. It may function as an idol, but it's going to be that source of life that you're chasing. Friends, what are you drawing life from? What helps you get out of bed in the morning? So if that's a question, the next one would be this. It has to do with season. You see, the metaphor in this passage is about timing and setting. The branches do not bear fruit every day of the year, do they? There are seasons, and they're all part of the rhythm of life. There comes to a season of fruit bearing and harvest. The vine goes through other seasons as well. We need to ask ourselves, what's my current season? We should expect seasons of change in our own life. This change as we go through life, even as we go through our day, this change of setting of circumstances becomes where God is at work cultivating. I often thought, when I, I sensed a call to ministry when I was a senior in high school, and I remember realizing, oh, no, I want to preach the gospel, and I've got to go seven years of preparation. Fortunately, there was a ministry, University Christian Fellowship, that helped me see that I was called to bear fruit as a freshman and as a sophomore. And as a, I was called to bear fruit in life. Where are you? Right now, I'm a preacher. But in about two hours, I'll be primarily a husband. See, these roles and settings will change. This afternoon, I hope to be a parent. And that's different. I was slow to the party, but being a parent is different when the kid is nine months or nine years or 19 years. In all of those changes of setting and season, God wants to be at work as we abide in him. He bears fruit. My life has been deeply shaped by a pastor by the name of Tim Keller. I rarely get through a sermon without mentioning his name. Twenty years ago, Dr. Keller was in the throes of planting Redeemer Church in Manhattan, in New York City. Started with none. But as they gathered and prayed, as he began to preach the gospel, the church grew. 6,000 people, many of them converted, multi-ethnic having a discernible impact among young professionals in Manhattan. That's how beautiful the gospel is. That was a productive time by one measure. Now, Dr. Keller is no longer preaching. He's been given a diagnosis of pancreatic cancer. He's called to bear fruit in whatever the season. It's not so much about productivity. It's about what season has God placed you in and are you bearing fruit? You can picture how a sermon or a picture like this sounds really different when I'm preaching to people in a jail. But it's true. It's true. If you really want to see, I've put up one of Tim Keller's recent articles. He was able to, to do an article, Finding Faith, what did he call it? I don't have the title there. 
Finding Faith in the Light of My Diagnosis in the Atlantic Monthly. If you want to see a witness for Christ in a place that isn't open to it, go read that. It's on the Sermon Resources blog. It's powerful. So, friends, discern your session and your setting so you can focus on abiding and bearing fruit. For a high school student, that's going to look different. I'm guessing you're not called to head up an international mission agency this afternoon, but you can go on a short-term mission trip. And those short-term mission trips in the context of serving are a great way to discern what God is doing in us and calling us to. Parents, it'll vary with age of kids and circumstances. There are people who are abandoned parents facing it all by themselves or perhaps non-custodial parents. There are people who are navigating both parenting and a marriage relationship. Wherever it is, don't ask, what can I produce for God? What is he expecting me to do? Ask instead, what is God doing in me that can bear fruit for others? Hear how different that question is? Take that question to work or to extended family. What is God doing in me that he can do for others? And then finally, this matter of fruit bearing. What is it that you are bringing to the season of your life? What is it that by the gospel of grace, by the work of God, is fruit in your life to bring to the moment you're in, the setting? In the book of Galatians, Paul outlines the fruit of the Spirit. He says, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Would your co-workers say that's what you bring to your workplace? Students, would your teachers say you add that to your class or to your team? What is it that you bring to the season that God has you in? What if parenting, just what if, what if it were about helping kids learn to abide in Christ so that he could bear much fruit in them through the course of a lifetime, and it was not so much about school grades or behavior management. See, that's a whole different run. See, I'm heartbroken by how often we as believers, the church of Jesus, don't bring the gospel of God's grace to the life we were living. God's word is very clear by my mind about our need as people and about the need of our world where we live, and about his provision for us. But God's people often, far, far too often, avoid the need, hide the provision, and give another answer or agenda. Let me give you some concrete examples. My alcoholic friends, um, the ones who are staying sober right now, they identify and deal with the reason that they started. See, it's not enough to, to just go to meetings. It's not enough to not buy it anymore. You've got to work your way back to say, why did I start it? What did it serve? What did it cover up? It's more than just stop drinking. It's about deal with your issues. I don't know if you're familiar with the extraordinary impact, the rise and the consequences of Internet pornography. Now, as I minister with folks struggling with that, I want to tell you something. Getting a filter for a computer is a good thing as a start. But I can't tell you how many men I've sat down with and they said, yeah, I was part of a group. And they said, get a filter. And I put that on my computer and then I just started to work around it. And I got an accountability partner, but I would just lie to them. 
You see, one of the issues going on with that behavior has to do with an idolatry of heart, of taking the gift of God, a gift that he gave for creating one flesh covenant with a spouse, and tearing it away from that, connecting it to a computer monitor, and making it about my personal pleasure. You see, until you begin to grapple with that idolatry of personal pleasure, you're going to be working your way around the filters and kidding yourself and struggling and making promises. And the way to deal with a broken heart and with that idolatry is to abide in Christ. Abiding brings a new power that bears much fruit. I want to close this morning in light of those three questions by introducing you to a guy. This is a fella. It's a wedding picture, as you might guess. Hudson Taylor. This is a British upper crust kind of guy. Uh, he early on was certified as a surgeon, highly uh, tr skilled, trained sort of guy. And you see here on his wedding day, right and proper, God had a call on his life. And he very quickly left and moved to China in the mid-1800s. He founded China Inland Mission. Listen to some of this. This is what Wikipedia thinks of this guy. This is not some Christian biography. This is Wikipedia, friends. The world sees this. It says, Taylor was known for his sensitivity to Chinese culture and zeal for evangelism. He adopted wearing native Chinese clothing, even though this was rare among missionaries of that time. And not just Chinese clothing, Chinese peasant clothing. Most British missionaries in the 1800s wanted to deal with the upper crust, with the elite. They wanted to hang with the British businessmen. Hudson Taylor dressed as a Chinese peasant. Under his leadership, the China Inland Mission was singularly non-denominational in practice, and it accepted members from all Protestant groups, including individuals from the working class and single women, as well as multinational recruits from all around the world. Primarily because of China Inland Mission's campaign against the opium trade, I was floored. In the 1800s, Great Britain used their army to enforce themselves as the drug cartel in China. And Hudson Taylor and China Inland Missionaries had the, I don't know what word to use here, the discernment and the insight and the guts to say no. Opium is a different God. It rules and destroys. They stood against that. Well, there's probably been no Westerner who had more effect on China and its population than Hudson Taylor. And listen to his favorite hymn. Jesus, I am resting, resting in the joy of what thou art. I'm finding out the greatness of your loving heart. Thou hast bid me gaze upon thee as the beauty, thy beauty fills my soul, for by thy transforming power you have made me whole. Yes, I rest in thee, beloved. Know what wealth of grace is thine. Know thy certainty of promise, and I've made it mine. Simply trusting thee, Lord Jesus, I behold thee as thou art, and thy love so pure, so changeless, satisfies my heart. He's not singing onward, Christian soldiers. He's singing, Jesus, I am resting, resting. He knew that God didn't love him because of his obedience, 
but because he knew God's love, he found new proportions of obedience. Friends, I want to blow something up for you. I know many of us have been in churches for years, for decades, and it's the, it's the default setting of the broken human heart that says, if I just obey better, God will love me more. Throw that out and hear the gospel of Jesus. The gospel is this, that because of what Jesus did on the cross for you and for me and for all humanity, because of his love, through abiding in him, we will obey. If you think obedience is the price you pay for the ticket to get in, you've missed the gospel. God's love is what will abide in you and bear fruit. It'll change China. It could change Michigan. How do you go from an uptight British guy to somebody like that? That's Hudson Taylor at the end of his life. That's the fruit of the Holy Spirit at work in him. God wants to change us and then through us affect our world. Zach and the team have a great song for us this morning. We're going to use it as kind of a prayer. It may be new for you. You may want to sing along or listen to them. It's about abiding. Abiding. I'm praying, and I'll pray for each of you Monday and Tuesday in particular ways, that where you go, and on the live stream, where you go on Monday and Tuesday, you might be present in that season to bear fruit, God's work in you. Can we pray? Oh, Lord, our God and Father, how we thank you that you have great things for your people. We are stunned and amazed. For many of us, it's been exhausting trying to live up to that. And so I pray in this moment, Holy Spirit, that you would open our hearts and minds to see that it begins with your love. And that as we abide in that love, in the season we're in, that you, Holy Spirit, as we hear your voice, as we dig into the written word of Jesus, that you will begin to bear fruit and we'll see a different character often before we see a different behavior. You'll give us different values. We'll weep with the brokenhearted. We'll rejoice with those who are filled with hope and joy. Begin to work deeply in your people that you might bear fruit wherever we are on Monday and Tuesday. We thank you for your goodness and grace, Lord Jesus. Make this our prayer. Fill us with hope. Thank you for the power of the gospel. You've been good to us. And for that goodness, we give you thanks. Bear your fruit, Lord God. Bear your fruit. We invite you to stay seated and to continue in a moment of prayer as we sing this song. And may it be our prayer as we rest into God's presence.
don't you stand with me and I'll give you a benediction. Friends, the good news of the gospel is not that you need to go out and do something big for Jesus. The good news is a call to abide in him and let him be big in you wherever he would take you. That is exciting. Now receive the benediction of our God taken from the book of Romans. Now, to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation that was mystery and kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God, be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen.